This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, and we have a very special guest today. That is Bruce Feldman, college football writer at The Athletic. Also works for Fox Sports' college football coverage, Big Noon Kickoff. Spent two years at CBS Sports, 17 years at ESPN, native of Los Angeles, graduate of the University of Miami. Bruce, does all that sound right? It does. I don't I don't know if I, it's fair to call me a native of Los Angeles. I've been out here for like 20 years, but I'm actually from upstate New York, which is way different. And I should be able to handle cold weather better than you would think for living out here. Well, we can't we can't we can't get that mixed up. That's a uh, that's a big uh, crossing of the lines there. But uh, we appreciate you joining us, Bruce. And, you know, I kind of want to get right to it. I know your time is valuable, but Andrew and I have have been following this story, obviously, with with our backgrounds in recruiting. But Four-star quarterback Jaden Rashada, who if you're listening to this show and you've been following college football, this has been one of the most talked about stories in college football and it because of the significance with name, image, and likeness. And Bruce, along you, uh, along with your team at The Athletic, Andy Staples, Stuart Mandel, wrote an ex- excellent article really kind of going through the entire timeline of Jaden Rashada and then the pursuit of Miami and also Florida and then how he has now ended up at Arizona State with Kenny Dillingham. So before we kind of get into that, I mean, just a very general question. As you're going through this story, was there any insight to it that really kind of just raised your eyebrows at first glance that said, wow, I just didn't know it was moving this fast in terms of NIL and college football? You know, Cooper, I I think the part that most kind of like raised my eyebrows was something – we all had different roles in this story. There's probably six or seven of us who worked on it. We have a Florida beat writer, um, Alan Taylor. We have a Miami beat writer, Manny Navarro. Manny Navarro knows a lot about John Ruiz and how he works. And, and so, but there was one thing that Andy Staples had got, which didn't kind of like, you know, we had this Google doc and we were working on it for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And, you know, you kind of worked on your own part of it. Um, and Andy had talked, had stuff from Florida's basically biggest booster, Hugh Hathcock. And in there, it said that a year ago, almost a year ago, he had contributed the biggest donation ever pledged to the University of Florida Athletic Department. And it was like $12.2 million or somewhere around $12 million. 
it's obviously a big number and but you know uf is this huge athletic program they won you know multiple national titles in different sports and everything and yet here it is that their collective is is cobbling up they're trying to almost 14 million dollars for Jaden rashada who never played a down of college football at that time and i was like that put it in a different level of context for me, like the biggest donation ever. And it was probably, you know, who knows how long that that $12 million uh, is pledges spread out. And then they're all of a sudden they're going to pay that much money for a lot of for honestly, a guy that a lot of coaches that I talked to over the last year were like, yeah, there's talent there. But but they were like incredulous that somebody would be paying that much money. Now, whether it actually comes to be that much money, even if he were to stay there and everything, that's another story. I mean, you know, one of the things that we tried to convey and had a lot of conversations about was, um, you know, the money that we know as contracts in pro sports and certainly in college sports with coaches, you know, you tend to think of that's real money. Some of this stuff you're a little dubious about it because we're in uncharted waters in the last year of NIL, as, as you guys know, and, and, you know, in your own jobs of how this thing is evolving so rapidly and the people involved is just a um, it's a really, really curious dynamic how it's playing out. So, Bruce, to me, you know, just rereading the story before you, you jumped on, like what stood out to me was in June when he initially committed to Miami there was some smoke around there about the number being the 9.5 NIL uh, uh, deal, the, the figure for him. John Ruiz, I believe, is quoted in this story saying that that number wasn't even relatively close. Now, what we knew before this was the biggest number to this point was that $8 million figure with Nico Iemailieva, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, is going to play his football for, for Josh Heupel. I'm just wondering... I, that's a big jump from 18 million to 13.85. How did Florida and the Gator Collective, it, because th this deal was drawn up, how'd they arrive at this number? It's a great question. There, you know, the things that were curious about that was, and and I think the commitment happened, I want to say it was like, it was on 247, right? It was, he was in studio with CBS. I mean, Andrew probably might've been there even like, you know, when it happened, um, you know, we had heard the number 9.5 was coming around and, and the common denominator, uh, Mike Caspino, who's the agent who's based in Southern California, um, had been connected to Nico. And in the story that went online, not it wasn't an athletic story. We were not able to corroborate this stuff when it came to the 9.5. Caspino was quoted in that story that said it was 9.5 as saying he left millions on the table, right? And so now all of a sudden we're like looking at $11 million. And when he goes to the Elite 11, not long after that, that's the number that, you know, a lot of people there, I mean, it's still an insane number, whether it's 9.5 or 11 million. But you, you heard all this curious stuff about you know, in our own reporting, and I know a lot of guys who are on that Miami staff, they were more, seemed to be more fired up about the other quarterback they had taken a commitment of who wasn't as hyped, but I think they were probably a little more confident in his ability. And so you're like, there's just a lot of weird stuff, but obviously there's, there's a level of plausible deniability that goes into with coaches like, 
just sitting there, and I know you worked in a, in a in an actual college football program. The idea that you know schools or the collectives would be spending seven figures for players that the coaches themselves may not be that fired up about um, is such a head scratcher. Because then all of a sudden now you have this in your locker room. Right. I mean, one of the things that, you know, on my side of the reporting of that story that came up with some of the coaches um, was, OK, so do you know, and these are elite 11 guy coaches, do you know if you're Jaden and they think you're making 11 million dollars? How does that play out when you go into that locker room? Now, every time you go out in public with teammates, they're going to expect you to pay the bill. They're going to expect, you know, like there's so much stuff that I, you know, things that I wouldn't have thought of off the top of my head, but like, that's the, that was their reality of that. And so as it kind of kept going, you know, there's a, there's a line from George Whitfield in there about how you basically, you have an $11 million backpack on your back right now. And essentially you're the most hyped uh, quarterback recruit ever because there's always been four stars. There's always been five stars, at least for, you know, the last 25 years or so. But now all of a sudden there's another quantifier and it's a much bigger deal in terms of a, a reality thing that you're wearing that whether you whether you like it or not, you're not shedding it. And unfortunately, I think for Jaden Rashada is whether it was real, whether the money was real, you know, whether they had the money in that collective to back it up, um, you know, that 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 tag was is going to be something he's going to wear even at Arizona State when he's not part of this deal. And so, you know, one thing that we really tried to hammer home with this story was, you know, it, you can say what you want about either the dad or Caspino and how they were trying to get as much money as possible for this quarterback, you know, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of burden that's coming with it. And Jaden's the one who's going to have to, to carry it fair or unfair, right or wrong. And and that's the stuff where everyone we talked to was like, you know, they really like the kid and he's a kid, but this is, this is just kind of the reality that happens coming in the wake of NIL. Bruce, it's, I'm glad you bring that up because I was around Jaden at the Under Armour game. And this was when he still signed, sealed, and delivered to Florida and whatnot. And heard him talk kind of off the record for about 20 minutes. And my number one thought was, I don't know if this guy's going to be able to survive. As soon as as soon as things go south, right, everyone is going to know. Well, they didn't know the price tag at the time, but they knew he was getting something, right? I just didn't know mentally if it was all there for him to to thrive in that environment there in Gainesville, right? I mean, they run coaches out of town. I mean, I mean <laughs> but I, I thought you brought up something interesting. You mentioned the coaching staff or or some of the people you talked with felt better about the other quarterback that was previously committed to Florida or or felt maybe more optimistic or, or like my, no no committed to Miami. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. No, I, no, no, yeah that was the because they had they had two and the other one was I don't know he was like probably Emory, a, Emory Williams. Yeah, he was probably a low four star at the time when they took the commitment. I don't think he was as highly ranked. Okay, but I think they were just they seem to be a lot more excited about him than, than Jaden. Right. And this kind of leads me to my question. I mean, as you guys did this reporting and, and there's a little bit of, of I think of you guys handing out it in, in this, in the story, but you know, Jaden isn't the number one quarterback. He's not the number two quarterback, the number, the number three quarterback. I mean, how did he become the guy 
in, in, in all this? I mean, or do you not even have that answer? You know, I, I mean, you guys could probably address it as best as I could. I think one thing that happens a lot is, you, you know, and again, I did a recruiting book, Meat Market, like almost, not almost 20 years ago, but like probably 15 years ago. Love and this. the cycle <laughs> has sped up. Thank you so much, as you guys well know, so fast in terms of when offers come out and how much of like, it's funny because this was the eye opener for me when I did that book was like just how shaky the academics were for, you know, what they were looking at at Ole Miss and a lot of, you know, a lot of kids there and waiting on transcripts and what you're going to get to. Well, if you're offering kids when they're freshmen and sophomores, you know, you don't have much of an ac a realistic academic picture of what you're dealing with. So there's that, but also the development part of it. And so probably like five years later, I did a book where I was around all these private quarterback coaches and that quarterback class was loaded from Southern California, especially, but, but going into um, the spring of, of this, that particular class's junior year, Ricky town was the number one ranked uh, play, recruit in the country, not just quarterback. And then over, over time, like he's, I think he struggled to wear that burden or whatever you want to, you know, describe it as, you know, he didn't, didn't have a great, you know, kind of run through some of these other camps and maybe, you know, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going into it where maybe guys are developed more because of the private coaching they've had, you know, there's all sorts of things that factor into it. Right. I mean, Sam Darnold kind of came out of nowhere at one point and really blossomed where, you know, by the time, you know, I don't even think town made it to September at USC and he already was transferring and ping ponging around. But I think so much of it is you, you get a very unclear picture of that position. I mean, offensive line. I mean, I, I did a story recently about this, how it's just a lot harder to project offensive guys than it is defensive guys. And that, that position is really hard, you know, like in terms, and you guys know this, it's just like, you know, what, what can look really good in drills maybe doesn't translate so well into the games. And, um, you know, what, this was not for this story, but one of the guys I talked to in the process of re reporting that, you know, made the case, you know, drew up the name of, of Tate Martell, who was a five-star quarterback and had been hyped and was offered way early. And Tate Martell was on a loaded seven-on-seven team and played at Gorman and had all these really, really talented players around him. And sometimes you get maybe a skewed perspective on, on what they are, or maybe coaches think, all right, if I bring this quarterback, I'm going to get all his buddies to come. And that's going to, you know, to play out that way. I mean, it's such an inexact science. And I think because it's so much the it factor position, um, I think it's hard for people to get a sense of that unless they're really around the kid that much. You know, like I just remember hearing all these stories from the um, from the Elite 11 guys, how CJ Stroud blew up there at the opening and how they saw him take to the competition, whereas um, I think it's Jack Miller, but I'm trying to where he had been committed to Ohio State and I don't think he had responded the same way to the competition. Um, and I, you see that a lot, just having covered that a lot. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a hard thing when you're, you know, you guys know this well, when you're when you're evaluating guys who are sophomores and juniors in high school, the picture's still developing. 
Bruce, did did you get a feel doing the story of what that relationship like? Not only Florida, maybe Miami, maybe there's some other programs that you guys kind of looked into as well. What that relationship between programs, head coaches who have to make these decisions in these third party collectives and how they're navigating this space? Because I'm I'm looking at it and I I keep going back to this number. If if you're Billy Napier, there are a number of recruitments that you could point back to. Francis Malagoa, five-star tackle, one of the best offensive linemen in the country, ends up going to Miami. Samson Okanlola, same one. Malik Bryant, right? A couple in-state battles with Miami, but a, a couple that uh, certainly had to do with, with name, image, and likeness. If you're sitting there as Billy Napier, I can't imagine he's saying, hold on, we have $13.85 million to spend, and we're going to use it on one position. And the other part of this, right, that you guys – really pointed out in your story, it's good for perspective. You know, Kenny Pickett, a first rounder of the Pittsburgh Steelers this past year, $14.1 million deal over four years. For us, okay, everything is a projection to the NFL draft. Jaden Rashad on the number 44 player in the country would be a day two NFL draft pick, right? So how do those numbers really mix and match? And, and that's kind of what I go back to in terms of Who's assessing the value here? You got a lot of people to me that really don't understand the game of football and how it's valued, even at the collegiate level, and how it's valued at the NFL. And, and from a big picture standpoint, this is the one where it's just like this has gotten completely out of hand here. And you know, thirteen point eight five million dollars. We're talking about Jaden Rashada. With all due respect, like you guys put in the article, we love the arm talent, right? We love the physical makeup. He had the highest interception rate of any quarterback in the top 250. He's also the oldest, right? There's some blemishes there that would make you question, like Andrew asked, like, why is he the guy? And I just wonder, you know, if Billy Napier is working hand in hand, and I'm just using him as an example with the collective, there's no way in my mind they would have arrived on this being the best pathway for them going forward. Right. So I guess my question is, like, was he given a green light by the decision makers in Gainesville? Or is this just some faction of the people that hold the, the money being like, all right, this is the guy we're going after? Or is there no answer to that? Does, do we, does no one really know? Or is it a combination? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, in full disclosure, there's a few things in here where we were not, you know, because of, of the journalistic policies of, of the New York Times, where certain things we were not able to go down the road of, you know, anonymous quotes or, or things like that. Um, in the regard to what you guys are asking, um, you know, I think it's hard if you're, this is where the disconnect I think goes with this, because if this is what Billy Napier thought and he valued him just so much so that like, let's pretend that I know their styles aren't the same and their physical attributes are not the same let's just say billy neighbor thought he was cam newton you know the probably the most talented quarterback who florida's ever had in their program um you know is that worth 14 million dollars right i mean to me that's a discussion for like you know obviously we know he took that auburn team like in my mind cam newton's arguably the greatest college player i've ever covered um and he took a team that had Nick Fairley and almost no other draft picks and they won a national title. Is that worth, would that be worth $14 million? You know, one amazing season. I don't know. I mean, but I, that I think, is, I, I think it'd be close, right? Heisman yeah. trophy. 
But that is such the ceiling, Andrew, of like, and I don't think any of us think, and you guys, have, you guys have seen this way more than me now, but like, he's not that guy. Not, I mean, Cam Newton to me was Superman, you right. know, like, so I had asked a coach, you know, um, some, you know, one of my colleagues had talked to, to Caspino, the agent at the time. And, and there was something about like, well, such and such is going to pay $4 million for this player or something. And I remember asking one of the, one of the coaches and this person was like, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have anything close to that kind of our boost. That's not how our place works. It's like he almost laughed. And, but then he, he made the point, like, if I had that kind of money, we'd, we'd spend it on like eight transfers and divvy that up, you know, like college transfers. Like Moneyball. Um, Try to get your yeah, back to your buck. like to put all those chips in that part of the table seem kind of preposterous. And so I don't have the answer, you know, about like whether Billy Napier rubber stamped and, and they said, hey, we're thinking of $14 million. I think just as a read on this, the Florida Collective seems so dysfunctional at that point. Um. I find it hard to believe that they were, there was much alignment there. Now, at some point, did they just think there's a combination of, yeah, Florida likes him, Billy Napier and his, you know, quarterback analyst, I think then thought he had, you know, a bunch of talent. Did they also think that other recruits were going to follow him? I mean, I, I hope this is not how much this factored into it, but did the Florida collective and some of the money people feel like, Hey, we're going to stick it to Miami. We're not doing well on the field. Their hire got all this buzz and our hire, who I think is a good coach, and I thought he did a terrific job at Louisiana in the Sun Belt. But that hire was kind of, you know, I think it was a little bit downplayed. And so maybe maybe some of their fans were like feeling like, hey, let's prop it up and let's do everything we can to make a big splash. I, I think some of that factored into it. And I don't think that – I find it hard to believe that – Billy Napier, and I'm not saying coaches don't have any sense of what their collectives are doing, that Billy Napier would have looked at this, all these things and go, yeah, that sounds about right. Go for it. That's just even it just seems a little too, too unrealistic to me. Bruce, in, in your opinion, what, what what's the ripple effect here or the lesson learned for maybe some other programs that are watching this from afar that are involved, that are trying to get that alignment with their collectives that can say, Man, this is kind of rarefied air, right? This kind of this got off the wheels really quick. Thirteen point eight five million dollars is a lot of money, and second of all, it's for a player that we don't really have a, a, a conviction throughout the entire building, right? You just talked about Cam Newton. What that w- would you spend fourteen million dollars on a guy that you know could deliver a national championship? So I just kind of wonder how do you see this? Maybe not so much of the NCAA, but teams kind of studying this and what's happened to Florida because the way I look at Florida, the intentions, the intentions are in the right place, but Florida, Florida's collective and their incompetence has hurt Florida in the big picture for me with recruits down the line. That's kind of the way that I look at it. So, you know, is there a lesson to be learned or what's the potential ripple effect for some programs maybe watching this and and saying, okay, we, we have to learn from this going forward. Yeah, I think, Cooper, it's a cautionary tale for a lot of people. The, you, you're, I think you're spot on on the collective alignment and how that fits with an athletic department. You know, do you need to have plausible deniability on this? I mean, I remember um, 
on basically on the eve of NIL happening, whatever it was like probably 18 months ago, um, you know, we had a story on the athletic that I did talking to coaches and, they, and one of the things they said, one of the coaches had said was we basically can go to one of our boosters and say, listen, you get all ticked off that we're losing players from our own backyard. Now you can do something about it. Well, how much that they want them doing something about it is, is very murky. Right. And so I think that on that part, it's like, this is um, probably one of the worst examples of the wild, wild West of NIL. You have a lot of things factored in. I think, as, as you said, between the Tennessee quarterback deal, which was an outlier in itself. And then I think, you know, here's the agent thinking I'm going to reset the market and we're going to have we're going to have whatever it is, $12 million or $11 million or $14 million for Jaden Rashada. And then um, whoever the next quarterback is next year is going to their family is going to see that money and they're going to they're going to want 20. Because if you look at the, the numbers for coaching salaries, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, like like when I did meat market. Ed Ogeron was an SEC head coach. He was not making a million dollars a year. I'm not saying he should have been, but he was like, and now, you know, Lane Kiffin probably makes nine, is at the same program, it probably makes nine times that. It wasn't like it was 50 years ago. It was, it was like less than 15, you know, or it's about 15 years. And that's the money has just gotten so staggering. And so I think I'm sure that, you know, these agents and a lot of them are like new to this business. They're, and the business is new. This part of it too is looking at it going, well, they're spending billions of dollars for TV, TV deals for, you know, the big 10 is getting this much money. The SEC is, is in line to get this much money. Shouldn't the players be getting a big chunk of that? And, you know, the reality is even if this player was really good and they had that actual money to, to, to follow through, I mean, are you going to spend, $14 million on one player and then like before he's ever played a down. And then what do you do with the rest of them? You know, I just think it, it creates all sorts of challenges for our coaching staff. At what point do you see like agencies like CAA, you know, one of the, one of the biggest player agencies out there in, in the NFL and obviously a, a lot of other leagues as well. Athletes first, do they start having an interest here at the grassroots at this level? and start working with guys at 17, 18 years old. Because I'm, you know, even looking at some of the language in Jaden Rashada's deal, you wonder how was Florida able to walk away from that so easily, right? With any legal uh, without any legal repercussions. We'll see if there's legal repercussions. It might be. I don't, you know, like I wouldn't be shocked if there was a lawsuit coming out of this. Who knows? I mean, I don't know that there is, but it wouldn't surprise me if there there you know, like think of the, the emotional damages or whatever you're doing on on this situation. Who knows? But like towards what you're saying, I mean, Malachi Nelson has a deal with a major agency with Clutch and they have a, a handful of basketball, high school basketball players. So I think it's it, it can get there. I think the tricky part of this is if you're a big firm like the two you mentioned, I think it's like, is it a good bet for them to be all the way in on high school kids, right? I mean, you know, who knows if, you know, the quarterback who was at Ohio State for a minute and now he's at Texas and now he's got Arch Manning breathing over, like, who knows? Is that a good bet if you're 
because you're already dealing with all the college, you know, college guys coming out. You know, I was thinking about this, like, so I was at, at Big Ten Media Days back in um, July, and it was really interesting to t- I talked to CJ Stroud for a little bit on a one-on-one. And at one point he referenced uh, an advisor or, you know, it's basically a, it's an NFL player agent. And, you know, a year ago, that would have just been like, what? You can't say that. But it's like, that's the different landscape, you know? And I get why that agent who's a big NFL agent wants to do business with C.J. Stroud because at that point he was kind of a made man. It's not to say all guys who are two years out of high school or whatever are definitely going to be top 10 picks, but he had had the huge Rose Bowl game and he obviously played very well that season. I, you know, at worst, you know, unless he gets really injured badly, you're like, okay, this guy's going to be a, you know, first, first or second round pick. I think the part where it's dicey is you're talking about these high school kids, you know, like I remember, uh, Malik Murphy, you know, seeing out, out of Elite 11 was an interesting kid, you know, big, strong, you know, very, you know, very easy to talk to, you know, who knows if he's going to, you know, what his college career is going to be like, you know, so many of those quarterbacks, you just wonder um, what's going to happen to them, you know, so is, is the, you know, the David Mulagetas of the world and, and the Drew Rosenhouses, are they going to want to, devote so much energy to um to that i mean caleb williams looks like he's going to live up to it certainly you know trevor lawrence did but you know there's plenty of other guys of the christian hackenbergs and the max browns and and so many you know ricky towns where it just probably wouldn't have been a great investment of time for them we're going to take a quick break keep it locked to the 24 7 sports football recruiting podcast when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. I think the good example is Derek King. Remember, he was kind of like on the forefront of the NIL. Heisman Trophy stuff. I mean, he was doing advertisements all over South Florida. And it's like, I don't even think he's in the league anymore. I think he was on a practice squad. And it's like... And I do think from what I've seen being out in the field, like I do think there are agents that are pushing into this grassroots and trying to get more and more involved. But I think what people are going to realize, and I think this applies to collectives as well, like the bust rate in football is high at all levels. Like you're going to miss and you're not going to project people well and kids aren't going to pan out. So I I just wonder if, if the bubble will ever burst in terms of not the pay for play structure, but these these massive sums that are, are going towards certain individuals without even playing a snap. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I like I looked back probably, I don't know, sometime in the last year of the, all the five star quarterbacks of like the last 10 years and saw how many in college at least lived up to their, you know, to what what I thought was a five star. And that number was around 30 percent. And that was before NIL came into place where there's now added pressure. 
I just think it's so hard to project. I mean, some of it goes into the system they're in. It's a confidence position. It's, you know, it's just a lot. And even the guys who are really good in college, sometimes they, you know, like they just don't work out for whatever reason. And it's just, it's just really a hard thing. And so I, I don't know how you kind of rein that in because it's everybody's instincts to get really excited about these guys. But, you know, it's just, you know, like I, I, I think it's, a, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like a, it's, it turns out to be a better story of the guys who, you know, kind of bet on themselves, maybe didn't get any hype. And it's like, oh, cool. You know, it's like, all right, that worked out as, you know, for the other ones, it's like I said, it's, it's so much of a burden for them for that. And I think they're, they're working, work, trying to work through it. I do think it's interesting because the access to information that you have at the high school level compared to what it was five years ago, or even when I was in the industry back when I started in 2014, it's completely different, you know, from everything being digital and to these combines that they have now in the off season. And it's basically standardized testing as it would translate to the NFL scouting combine. So you have verified athletic markers and metrics on players sometimes from the beginning of their sophomore year to all the way till they're a senior. So you can see these guys in terms of how they're growing, their growth, growth potential, their athletic trajectory. So you start to feel a little bit better. Andrew and I had a podcast this morning. We we're kind of going back and we we're looking at some of the stars of the Super Bowls, right? Some of these guys unranked, but you see a little bit of the commonalities there in their athletic background. A lot of these guys two, three sport athletes and dynamic uh, in multiple sports. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if you are one of those agencies, you're not you're not making a living there, but maybe there is something there where you can be a little bit more strategic about, you know what, I'm not even going to uh, I'll stay away from the quarterbacks if they don't excite me. But a guy like Keon Keeley, a five star, a guy who's you get around the person a little bit and he's about as clean as they come. Andrew says he's a Notre Dame fit going to Alabama. Right. And he's exactly what you want. That's a guy for me. Like if that gives you the edge in terms of a recruiting pitch that you're going to have to make three to four years down the line, you're kind of willing to roll the dice at that point, maybe maybe in their career. And you know the other part is, is like I would let that play out all the way until signing day and see where they sign. A guy like Keon Keeley going to Alabama, you feel really good about that. You know, he's kind of got some Will Anderson vibes, not only as a player, but just in terms of the intangible. So I think that whole kind of, conversation around nil the alignment between co collectives where the agencies fit in this um there's so much space for it and room to grow and right now i mean the the part about this story for me that was i don't want to say frustrating but we all know Jaden rashad is a very capable quarterback and and to read the story in chris singletary a national recruiting analyst area he was at at the elite 11 you know, to hear that part about him just really struggling with the expectations. You know, Andrew and I talk about it. Maybe the best thing to ever happen to him is is not end up at a place like Florida or Miami, but be in Arizona where he Arizona State where he doesn't have to carry that that burden, right? And there's got to be a little little piece of this for Jaden Rashada that that it's got to be a little bit of a of a relief. I, I would have to guess. Yeah, I I think you know we've all gone to um, we've all gone to these kinds of sh either showcases or camps and you'll see when kids get in the good group or whatever, or do they make the good group and you watch them live and die with what's going on with that, um, you know, what's happening in that particular afternoon or that particular day. 
And it's really interesting to see how, um, you know, cause I, I think a lot of us, you cover college football, you still forget what, and you guys are, are around it constantly. So it's probably a little different with high school recruits, but like you forget the emotional piece of this. Like one of the things we, we, we had an internal discussion about with the, with the Rashada story, you know, myself and Andy Staples and a couple other guys was the money aspect of it in terms of like, why, why he ended up signing even after the deal was falling apart and stayed there for like a, a week or two later, you know? And I just remember saying to them, I was like, well, if you're a high school kid, like, and you're doing some kind of deal with the university of Florida, why would you not think they wouldn't be good for it? You know, it's like this huge entity. It's not like you went to a strip mall and we're like trying to buy a cell phone from, from, you know, like, or, or like get a car dealership where it's like, ah, oh, this might be, a, or, you know, like something you bought online. And I think for them, their perspective, you know, no matter who they are, you're short of like your, your, your arch manning where you've had, all, you know, a different world you're exposed to. But no matter who these kids are, they could be at a really good high school program that's had a lot of players come through. Um, could have a really, really stable family environment. I just think that like at the end of the day, they're still thrown into like a, a you know, a pool of water that's unlike anything that almost any kid their age, never whether they're a football player or not, is is trying to navigate. And so I think that that really has to factor into it too. I mean, it's going to be interesting just to to, to follow the career arc of Jaden Rashada. I mean, for me, it was like I'm just ready for him to kind of put this behind him. He he just needs to find a home and and you know go to a spot where they're excited about him. And I think Kenny Dillingham, a first year head coach, obviously what he did with Bo Nix, I think it's the perfect spot. I thought TCU and and Sonny Dykes uh, would have been a, a great spot too. But I think that about wraps it up on Jaden Rashada. Unless Andrew, you got any follow up questions there? No, I got to ask. I got, I got other questions to ask Bruce, and I know his time's valuable. So, and I'm sure. How many times have you had to talk about this story so far, Bruce? Um, a decent amount. What, what's been interesting, though, is because we had so many people work on the story. Like, the story went up Monday. Andy Staples was on Feinbaum show, and we've had, you know, it's basically like a, a big tag team effort of people on there. Uh, we thought more people. You know, we thought there was kind of somebody else going to have the deal, the, the contract terms and at, before we get it out. Cause we sat on the story for a little bit of time because they wanted it out on Monday before it was really buttoned up. And so I just feel like there's been, you know, a lot of interest in it because, you know, it's a world where you guys in you know, a lot of people in, in the world and certainly coaches had a definite feel for the story um, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more that'll probably come out. I think probably you'll hear a lot more, I think, of some of the stuff, maybe the, the feeling of coaches about the behind the scenes dealing of what was going on, you know, stuff that honestly, you know, the anonymous quotes stuff that we couldn't get into print that I think you just talked to so many coaches who all had the same kind of take um, that I think you will probably see some more of that that'll that'll probably draw more heat to the story that's that's a perfect segue for what I was, I was going to say obviously you talk with 
I don't know, thousands of people inside the industry. A lot of people of them are sources that remain anonymous for, for you doing what you do and you do it so well at the top of the industry. What, what's it like just juggling different sources and, and, you know, using your bullets when you can and, and withholding information? What's that like just for the average person that's not on the media side? Um, it's, it's interesting because sometimes, you know, there are certain people who feel a certain way about a coach or something, and maybe some others, you know, there's a lot of ego that goes into it, but I think also, um, what you want is, especially in a story like this, you want some level of alignment in terms of like, if I talk to five coaches and they had, they had four different opinions and only two people that, you know, seem to come in, you're a little more skeptical of it. You know, in the case of, you know, talking about a particular agent, everybody we talked to felt the same way. Um, so it was like, okay, I, I kind of feel pretty, you know, pretty confident in, in the take that they have and the perspective they have. I think when it comes to other stories, you know, um, I don't know if this is really the question you're asking, but like, I've always felt like no matter what, no story is going to be worth like either burning a source or doing something where it's like, there's always going to be another story. And I think one of the best parts of my job is a lot of times the stories I end up getting or the ideas I end up getting coming from the reporting of this story, but it leads me, I find something else for that story. You know, like I had something, one of my favorite stories that I've done, at least at the athletic was a story on Icky Iguano, uh, the NC State offensive lineman. And it came from talking to ACC coaches about, you know, a really good lineman at Virginia Tech who was in the draft. And they kept on talking about Icky, who wasn't. They didn't even, a couple of them didn't actually know Icky by name. I didn't know Icky by name at first, or at least not till the second coach. And then I started asking. But it was like, you know, if you talk to people in, in the business, you know, when I say in the business, I mean, actual like coaches, not like, you know, other reporters or, or whatnot, you know, you'll, you may get a much deeper understanding of something. And so that's always been, I mean, to me, it's like, uh, you know, the, the access I have in my phone in terms of like the people I can contact, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you think, you know, something, and then all of a sudden they'll explain something like, Oh, that makes way more sense. And, you know, you just kind of bring that into the story or whatever, whatever you're working on. And I mean, that's kind of taken 25 years or so to get there. Like that recruiting book I did meat market, what it was, it was invaluable for me to put the book together, but it was also invaluable because I would see, I basically spent two years living in an, in an SEC football program in the football office. So I knew, found out things about stuff that, I never would have thought if I wasn't exposed to it and seen how the operation actually runs. You know, it's like we all watch games on TV, right? No matter how level, you know, none of us were like NFL players. But even if we were like some of those guys are NFL, you know, analysts on and they're they're, an, they're calling a game and they they call what they think and they call what they see. And I remember like I would be in the coaches offices on sat Sunday after the game. And they'd be like, "Yeah, you know who, you know who busted on that?" And I'd be like, "Oh, so and so," because it was like kind of the guy who's like the the list guy um, who's always in trouble. And they're like, "No, it was you know this particular guy." And it's just like well, the only people who really usually know that stuff 
are the coaches because they know what the assignments are. They know like all this other stuff. And it was just fascinating to me to see, you know, you want as a writer to write with such conviction. You're taught to not be like wishy-washy. That's what editors, you know, want conviction. And sometimes it's not black and white or it's not, you just don't know. And I think the biggest thing is when you don't know um, and you really are in the dark, you got to be careful that you kind of don't get it wrong. If you, if you don't know, do you put it out? Like, do you put a, a sense out there to the reader that you're like, hey, I just, I'm kind of in the middle here? Or do you, you know, kind of prolong the, the assignment and try to find out more information there? It depends. I mean, if you really don't know, I think you try, try to be transparent. If I really don't know, um, you know, I, I'm not going to like put something out there that I'm like, Ooh, that like I, and I'm not talking about like, Oh, that Kirby smart's going to be the head coach of Georgia. And I, you know, it's like, it's not been announced, but I know it, you know, whatever I'm talking about, like stuff where it's like certain, you know, who's going to be this, offensive coordinator hire or whatever. If I really don't have a feel for it or the people I'm talking to, I'm getting conflicting information. I'm going to try to hedge because I just, if I, if I don't have a strong feeling or I don't have strong Intel on it, I don't want to fake it to the audience. Cause it, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, that's the, whether it's the readers, the listeners, whatever it is. I mean, like when we, we reported on Deion Sanders, getting you know offered Colorado on our big noon show and at that point I had pretty strong information that it was real now that didn't mean that something couldn't have you know changed it at the you know within the last couple of days but we were I was not going to go out there the way I went out there if I didn't trust the people telling me what they were telling me um and so you just try to be as transparent as you can like I like I said a little bit ago like no story is worth kind of like you know, your career is your career for as long as it is. And, you know, it's just try to be mindful of that. We're going to take a quick break. Keep it locked to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Bruce, you, you you talked about the meat market a little bit, and you also wrote another book called Swing Your Sword about Mike Leach. And, you know, obviously with, with Coach Leaf, Leach <clears throat> departing us uh, recently, I just wonder, I mean, obviously one of the best personalities, especially in my lifetime, you know, I working for Chris Peterson at Washington, and what people don't know about Chris Peterson and Mike Leach, a lot of people don't know how close they were, you know, and how much respect Chris Peterson had for Mike Leach, not only the 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 football coach, but the person. And I always thought about that and you writing this book. I, I just kind of wonder, is there one or two things that maybe the general audience or public doesn't know about Mike Leach that you spent during that time that maybe left an impression on you 
um, you know, in, in his legacy? Um, yeah, there's a lot. It, it's just like Mike was Mike uh, was complicated in some regard and he was completely what you see is what you get. Like, I think a lot of fans tend to think, I don't know if this is factored in because of how pro wrestling is or different things, but we're like, oh, that guy's not really like that. Mike is, was a hundred percent. What you saw was what you got. Like that really was Mike warts and all like sometimes you'd cringe for him. Like if they lost and Cooper, I know that having the Washington piece of this, like I did a couple apple cups, you know, and that was never good for, for Mike. And, um, and when they lost, sometimes his reaction to it wasn't, wasn't ideal. Right. Um, you know, and I think the, the part that was really, um, you know, like I have not, since he passed, I have not looked back at swing your sword and just sat there and kind of went through it. Like stuff comes up at really, you know, random times like you know the 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 great thing about i felt like i had with my relationship with mike was i could say anything to him after a while and so we had a lot of you know long discussions and different things or you kind of knew how his mind worked um but he was brilliant like one of the my favorite things from the book has very little to do with football but it's more a real life lesson Mike was not a great athlete um, growing up in, in Cody, Wyoming. He bounced around because, you know, a, a lot. The family moved a lot. And when he went to BYU, now Mike was always a good student. But when he went to BYU, he talked about basically being able to create a, not a fake identity, but like just I'm not going to be rutted into who people thought I was when I was in high school. And so it was kind of... Um, when he went to college, the way, and this is, these are my words now, not his, but it was almost like he was able to, um, you know, fly into a new, new, new reality. And I think that's a great life lesson for people who maybe don't find themselves or don't find their voices when they're younger and they can, you know, create their own, carve out their own identity when they get older. And I think, Mike had so much wisdom in how he saw the world. Um, the other thing that was really amazing to see was so many people had a very personal experience with Mike Leach because unlike every coach I've ever met, um, they like they're on such a tight schedule where it's like all this and they can't look over here because they don't have the time. Mike got off schedule all the time because he always made the time because he was always so curious and somehow it worked pretty well for him. Like, I mean, we, you and I haven't talked about this, but like, like one of my, my favorite all time coworker now is your old boss. And I've been with him for two years at Fox and I think Chris Peterson is brilliant. I think he's authentic, like everything. And I always used to say, of the Apple cup coaches, the guy I'd rather sit in the long car ride with is, is the one who probably people don't think is that interesting because he really is. And it's not to say Mike's not, but like I remembered, I would get, have really good discussions with Chris Peterson off season every once in a while about a book we read about a book I did or something, whatever. And so you'd feel like you had a connection to him. And then I remember specifically 
they were going to the playoff and I, um, I went there for Fox to do a quick sit down with him. And I did. And I remember right as like the interview was good, like my last question, I think we were talking about something else. And it was almost like the fire alarm went off. He was just gone. And I was like, okay, so much for that. You know, like that was that it wasn't like, I don't have time for this. Whereas Leach always had time for that, you know, and just different, you know, different approaches, different ways of how they are and how they're wired. Um, you know, it's, it's still kind of, it still doesn't seem real that, you know, I'm not going to talk to him again, you know, kind of thing. But, um, you know, man, that guy lived, I, I do believe this, Mike Leach in his 61 years did more living than any football coach I can think of, you know, in terms of like traveling, meeting people, what he impact on the game, you know, it just, there's never been anybody like him. We'd hear stories about that all the time about, you know, how he would show up late or, you know, once the season was over, you wouldn't see him again until spring ball, just out of the office. And obviously you, you have a up close and personal look to that. But, you know, what I found interesting is like you, you talked about Chris Peterson and he is in, in all aspects an elite human being. And you talked about it. You've gotten to know him over the last two years, but just his interest and his curiosity. What I found interesting about Mike Leach is, you know, Chris Peterson's also one of the, the greatest competitors I've ever been around. And he's he's got that fire, and I think a lot of people don't see that on the outside. But I think Mike Leach had a way to connect with him just on a on a human level, even between that rivalry and the Apple Cup, and obviously those te- those teams, and obviously the the animosity between those two programs. But there was just a genuine, authentic relationship there that I think Peterson. I don't know how many I don't know how many other coaches he had that with you know at that level that he was able to. I think Leach was able to kind of to to kind of you know, break down some barriers there, pick up the phone in the middle of the season and just talk to him about nothing about football, which always blew his mind, but was always something that he definitely uh, appreciated. But that's great stuff on on Mike Leach. And I'm going to tee this one up for for Andrew, Bruce, because you guys got a lot in common here. But, you know, I'm pretty fascinated. The, the freaks list uh, that you put together every year, Andrew uh, has, has started doing that for us. And, you know, it's I was waiting for you to for you to sue me. I was waiting for like a. It might be in Nashville, you know, but I, I give you give you plenty of props in the lead. Yeah, you never know. That might still come. So, um, but, I don't think you have to worry about that. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I'm just wondering, like, where did that idea and that concept come from? And then, the, you know, the I wouldn't say the preparation, but you know, who are you leaning on in terms of doing homework there and gathering all this information now? This. And, and something in a content piece that I think a lot of people are, they now look forward to every year. Yeah, it came, I was doing uh, ESPN.com had me doing a blog for them year round. And it was myself and Buster only our baseball writer. And obviously baseball is a longer schedule. And it, well, this was not in the days of lots of transfers and NIL, none of that existed. So you're looking for content and stuff to keep people engaged year round. And so I would occasionally do some lists and um, there was a couple of players who just kind of fit into the category that I was thinking of. So I did a top 10 list off it, you know, 19, 20 years ago, and it really took off. And then I think for a, one of those, uh, for one of those players, I talked to the strength coach at, at this Mac school and got some really interesting stuff. And then it grew from there where not everybody, but a lot of strength and conditioning coaches 
saw like it as a nod to, Hey, this is what we do. This is what we're about. Like there might be some guys and this still happens where there would be, uh, you know, a player and, you know, Andrew's list would probably be a good example of this, where it's a guy who may have been an elite track guy in high school or something. Um, and I'm like, all right, he's on my radar. And then I asked the school, well, you know, like this is three years later and they're not, they're not giving him to me. They're, they're talking about another player. And what happens a little bit, I'm not saying it always happens, but sometimes is it's a guy that maybe they don't think, yeah, he's freaky athletic, but he's maybe not the guy they want to celebrate in terms of work ethic or for a variety of reasons. It doesn't happen a ton, but it's definitely happened, you know, a handful of times. Um, and so it's kind of interesting, but it's like initially it was the strength and conditioning coaches. Then it was, then it was some position coaches. And then when I started doing sideline for Fox, like six or seven years ago, I would be on the field before the games after, you know, like talking to coaches before the broadcast and I NFL scouts are down there and I would get a bunch coming up to me talking to me about the freaks list. And then all of a sudden it grew from there. And now, you know, I do, you know, calls with, uh, you know, a handful of guys before I do it, you know, my call with Jim Nagy from the senior bowl, you know, I don't know, it was three hours last year on a Saturday morning. Um, and we, we share notes and, you know, guys that maybe I've heard of from the schools and, um, you know, when Kyle Duggar came, came along, whatever it was four years ago, you know, he was obviously not a, not a, a, uh, FBS player. And I was like, but he belongs. And then you started, it opened it up. Now all of a sudden it's like, I'm, I feel like I cover the Missouri Valley conference, you know, because you have a lot of these guys and it's been, you know, it's just been a really cool thing. Like I feel way, way more, um, way more invested in it than anything else. Cause the, the response to it is so good. I mean, all the draft people kind of cite it and everything. And, um, it's funny this year. So I don't know if you guys have been to the college football hall of fame in Atlanta, but they have that deal where like it's every helmet of every team who plays. And I remember when LSU played, um, played in the, um, semifinal, they played Oklahoma and they did media day there. And I remember looking, I was like, Ooh, that's like the coolest helmet I've, I've seen on the wall. I had no idea the school it was. And it turned out it was West Florida. And I had a guy, a receiver this year from that school on there. Um, and so it's just like, you know, it's that, you know, even though I lived in Florida for a while, I'd never heard of the school and, you know, didn't know they had a football program and maybe they didn't when I lived there, but it's just been so um it's been really rewarding to see how the thing has grown from the first time i kind of cobbled it together basically off of like one or two interviews to now it's a project that i spend you know months picking at all off season well my goal is to get one of the guys on my list on your list and i, I think we're going to get there because the dn out of northwestern i always butcher his first name uh, at a tome way Go, goes by tommy Tommy, yeah, yeah, Tommy Adabore, his brother. You think he's freaky. His brother is ridiculous, different level. No, no, Nick Harbour on the list in the past? He's a lock for years as well, as, as long as he's yeah. not running running in the Olympics. Speaking of, of, you mentioned Deion Sanders earlier. You guys, you were all over that story. Tons of other hires, and you, like you say, you talked to a, diff, a lot of different people in the industry. Any other hire you're super excited about in this coaching carousel here or – you're intrigued by or when you're keeping your eye on that maybe isn't being talked about as much as others? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a few. Like, I'm I'm curious to see what happens with Trent Dilfer at UAB. I have no idea. My colleague Stuart Mandel, he does his coaching grades. He gave it a big F. He doesn't give a lot of. <laughs> usually, it feels like everything is like an A or a B. So I was like, whoa, you're out there on the limb. Um, I'm curious to see how how that's going to go. Just because like it's different. I'm curious to see how Biff Pogey's going to do at Charlotte. Um, I did a lot of Michigan games this year, and I know how well-regarded he was in uh, inside that program. And I know there's a ton of St. Francis guys. I'd be curious, since you guys are the experts on this, if you can think of a class that had so many players like from the same high school as, as he's going to have there. Um, It'd probably be like Miami with the Miami Northwestern crew when Randy Shannon was there, right? Yeah, that was, that was like seven. This yeah. is like he's over. I think he's, if you include the, all the transfers, I think it's like 15 at least. You know, now what's different is that was seven of whatever was 25. This is probably 15 of 40. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. I'm really curious to see what Hugh Freeze does at Auburn. It was a bad fit before. For Brian Harson, I think Freeze is a really good coach. I know he has he has you know baggage, um, but the SEC West is in an interesting place right now because you have obviously Nick Saban. They they had a down year by Alabama standards. They're you know really shuffled up the staff. You're losing arguably the best offensive and defensive players in the country off that team. Um, LSU had a, had a really solid first season on, for Brian Kelly, and they have a ton of guys coming back. AM had that, you know, incredibly highly reg- regarded recruiting class, and they didn't even go to a bowl game last year. So, you know, does Bobby Petrino help Jimbo pick up the pieces? You know, I feel like Old Miss kind of really fizzled from midseason down the stretch. Um, and again, here, you know, here comes Freeze to Auburn. I, I'm really fascinated to see how that's going to play out. Bruce, is there a guy that you just with your connections, obviously in the coaching industry, you keep hearing their name up and coming offense or defensive coordinator, maybe even a position coach that you feel like, or it's pretty close. Two guys we talk about on here a lot. Brian Hartline obviously just got his promotion to to offense coordinator at Ohio State. You got to think his time's coming soon. The other guy for me, I'm, I'm fascinated in his path and his trajectory, but at some point, Todd Hartley. A tight ends coach at Georgia, like what is next for him? He, he's putting tight end room, uh, his room year in and year out is just, it's like video game like, right? The, the best uh, position room in the country. You kind of wonder, okay, what's the next step for him? Are there are, are there a couple guys like that maybe for the audience out there that, okay, some names to know as we go into this next cycle, maybe that's a year from now, but some names that we need to know. Yeah, I mean, Hardline, before you said him, was definitely the first name. What he's done in that room has been remarkable, not just the recruiting, but the development. The guys go in there and they really thrive. Um, so I'm I'm definitely interested to see, you know, in the same league, Sharon Moore, um, his offensive line has won back-to-back Joe Moore Awards as the top offensive line in the country. He's very involved in terms of as a co-OC and the play calling there. I think he is the guy, you know, that I, people I trust inside the program said he's, he's the guy to watch when, you know, in terms of like, he's going to be a big time head coach going forward. 
Um, I think he's a little obscured, not I mean, he's at Michigan, but because he has a co-coordinator title, I don't think maybe people outside of Ann Arbor just realize how well regarded he is. And I think he's definitely a name to uh, a name to keep an eye on, um, you know, a, a name that got pretty hot in the last month. Again, this is up by, you know, one of your old stomping grounds. Uh, Ryan Grubb, he's you know been a right hand man for Kalen DeBoer. I think Kalen DeBoer is still a really underrated coach. You know he was wildly successful at a small school. Then he was really well respected when he was Tom Allen's offense coordinator in Indiana, where he didn't have a lot to work with. Went to Fresno, and now he got Washington back on track in a hurry. Grubb had a lot of interest, or is drawing a lot of interest from some big schools, most notably Alabama. I think you know he's somebody. He's somebody to keep an eye on, um, you know, I think going forward. I worked with uh, Sharon Moore briefly uh, during my time, 2017 in Ann Arbor at Michigan. I, he was came over from central Michigan at the time. Just one of those guys, you kind of feel it, you know, very, very structured, very organized, had had a vision for his room. And obviously we've kind of seen him ascend. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's by design, but I don't think Michigan's complaining right now with that, you know, co-offense coordinator title, you know, so kind of keeping him under wraps. Bruce, just one or two more questions and, and then we'll get you out of here. But, you know, I, I am fascinated by the recruiting schedule now in, in college football. And, and that's something that's been brought up a lot. It got brought up by Kirby Smart after they won a national championship, not this year, but the year before. And just talking about the grind, right? And now you see the transfer portal window open up in, in December. We see transfers on campus now on what used to be a dead period in the first week of January. And a lot of those coaches would kind of use that time to uh, decompress and blow off steam and go to the AFCA. Now you got to be back on campus and it just doesn't stop. I, I wonder, it feels like we talk about this more than we actually see it, but it, do you feel like the college football recruiting schedule and the schedule alone is just too much? And are, are we seeing some, some burnout as, as a residual effect? I think we are. I think it's, you know, I heard from from uh, a bunch of people I know who were in Charlotte this year that they didn't see the same turnout at the AFCA convention. I used to go to that every year. I couldn't th this year because the title game was in a, it was in LA, um, and the turnaround wasn't wasn't ideal to to go there. But um, I think you see the calendar is what it is. I don't think it's necessarily going to be maybe a deal where college head coaches because I'm not sure. You know, after Urban Myers you know, you know, kind of bombing in the NFL, I think the NFL, you know, and Matt rule who had spent a little bit of time, maybe a year or two as an assistant in the NFL, it didn't work out either. So I think the investment on taking a college head coach, but I think if you're an assistant coach, um, we've seen plenty of coordinators interview around in the NFL. I mean, you mentioned Georgia a minute ago, you know, Munkins and he's been in the NFL before and had some success, but I think you're going to see guys because whenever I go to the combine every year, I would talk to assistant coaches. I know who used to be in college and now are in the NFL and they, and this is before NIL stuff. Um, and this is really before the portal got ramped up, but they would always talk about, you know, in the summer you have no time because you could be with your family or something. And all of a sudden some kid as a baseball tournament in the area and he's going to want to take an unofficial to your campus. Now you got to leave what you're doing and go there. Um, you know, and, and just guys I know who have been considered candidates for, for like group of five head coaching jobs in the past and they're in college 
And they're like, eh, no, I don't want to be in that lifestyle because they like the NFL lifestyle a lot better. And that's because I don't want to say, use the term horror stories, but I just think they know the quality of life is just not as good if you can have it in the NFL where it's like all football as opposed to a lot of ancillary stuff. You can talk about how much you like de developing players. And while there is that, I think that it's just so much other stuff comes with it that I think it makes it really challenging for them to balance. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if the college football recruiting calendar even changes at all. I mean, I feel like people have kind of been talking about this for a while and we haven't seen any changes. Uh, Bruce, we, we, we got a lot of Miami fans that, that listen uh, to this show. So I want to get your, your instant reaction on Miami's new defensive coordinator hire and Lance Gidry. And maybe, maybe you know something about him that, that we don't uh, obviously coming over from Marshall uh, did quick cup of coffee with Tulane. Right. Uh, and then now to Coral Gables, just your reaction to that hire for Mario Cristobal. You know, I think it's a really good hire in terms of you look at what he did at Marshall. They had one of the best defenses in the country, right? They, you know, number three in yards per play allowed a uh, number one in third down defense talking to coaches, I, so um, in the last couple of days, I talked to some guys I know who are uh, coordinators in that conference, you know, because they're looking at the, some of the same film as they're crossing over. And they said he's really aggressive. I mean, there are times where you will see four defensive ends and six or seven defensive backs out there. And he just has, has a really good feel for getting his getting the opposing quarterback uncomfortable. Um, you know, I know Mario Cristobal has thought very highly of him for years and, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, Kevin Steele has been at bigger programs. This may be a, the, I think this may be an upgrade actually in terms of the coaching piece of this, we'll see, but, you know, track record wise, I think given what he's done, what he, especially what he did at Marshall the last few years, um, I, I think if I was a Miami fan, I'd be very encouraged by this. Now, having said all that, I think the other coordinator hire is a lot bigger piece right now in terms of, you know, they got to get a lot better on that side of the ball and they have to have somebody in there that they got to lure transfers. They have to get, they have to upgrade the skill positions significantly if they're going to try to, you know, get back to at least being a top 25 team, never mind top 10 are competing for championships. Are you expecting a hire on, on that front in terms of the offense coordinator at Miami anytime soon? I mean, spring football starts in about a month for them. So <laughs> it's gotta be soon. Um, so probably the week before, right? Yeah. <laughs> Typically. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know there's guys on his radar. I don't know how, you know, I'd be lying if I said I knew he was going to make a, when he was going to make a move. I'm just I think there's a lot of factors that are going to go into this, but you know it does, I don't think it I don't know how much crossover there is with other coordinator searches, but I definitely know there's a little crossover with some some NFL searches that have made it you know add a little bit of spice to this. Well, absolutely, Drew. Any last questions before we get Bruce out of here? No, Bruce. I, hopefully, we see you at the uh, Elite Eleven this summer. We can. Shake hands and, and shout yeah, out. Yeah, I hope so. I was all set to go there. That was the that was the week I contracted COVID, and it was like that was I I don't think I'd ever tested positive, and then I had it. I didn't even have it bad, but I couldn't get rid of it. I was like, I was telling Brian Stump, all right, I'm gonna see you guys, and then it was like, I don't know if I can do that to them. So, 
probably 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 the uh the the better move right there but bruce we appreciate you coming on our first guest outside of the network so we're really excited about that if you want to follow bruce feldman's work you can do that at bruce feldman cfb on twitter one of the best in the business bruce as always you are welcome back anytime with us my friend and thanks for coming on all right thanks for doing it i appreciate, appreciate it guys. it Big thanks to The Athletics, Bruce Feldman, for coming on. And big thanks to our audience, as always, joining us right here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, where you can get all the up-to-date recruiting information between the director of scouting at 24-7 Sports, Andrew Ivins, and me, Cooper Patagna, National Recruiting Analyst. And guys, make sure you can find everything you want here. Please be sure to leave a comment. Also, rate the show, subscribe to the show as well. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcast, including Apple and Spotify. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.